it's not, it's, it's what she was answering. Audio was off. Sorry. You can hear me now? Yes. <laughs> I thought it was my end. No, alhamdulillah. Oh, I forgot we need to pray. Is it Maghrib time yet? Okay, Maghrib just came in for me. So I'm going to mute and turn the video off here and then pray and, oh, and then come back and show me.
All right, Ms. Minna, can you all hear me okay? Ms. Minna, All right. Bismillah. Bismillah Assuming everyone can hear me, inshallah. If you uh, maybe if you can say something in the chat that would confirm that for me. All right. Alhamdulillah. So, Bismillah. <clears throat> I think we may have read this section last time, but we'll just start with it for good measure and then get on to Hibdul Nisan, inshallah. So, Bismillah. 
قال المصنف رحمه الله تعالى ونفعنا الله وياه بعلمه في الدارين أمين الدعاء عند الإفطار الدعاء عند الإفطار making dua at the time of breaking one's fast عن ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما قال كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا أفطر قال ذهب الضمأ وابتنت العلوك وثبت الأجر إن شاء الله رواه أبو داود والنسائي وكان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا أفطر قال اللهم لك سمت وعلى رزقك أفطرت رواه أبو داود الطبراني ولفظه بسم الله اللهم لك سمت وعلى رزقك أفطرت So these are two hadith we'll read them one by one the first one is that the Ibn Umar the son of Umar radiyallahu anhuma may Allah be pleased with them both said uh, the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he would break his fast he would say so this is one of the masnoon uh, du'as to make when breaking one's fast. This is one of the du'as that is from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to make when we break our fast. And that is, ذَهَبَ الظَّمَأُ Which means that the thirst has gone and the veins have become hydrated and the reward is established by the will of God. This is kind of a beautiful du'a, really. Um, some of the ulama said that this is the evidence that the du'a should be made after, actually, that the um, after the person breaks their fast. So, because it's saying the thirst has gone, and the body has become hydrated, and the reward is established. So, it's you would make it like right after you break your fast. Um, Whereas the one that's coming next might be something that you make before you break your fast. And that's the way we put it in. Uh, we made a little document that we included in the Ramadan boxes for the Majlis. Inshallah, we'll, we'll share the document as well. And it breaks it down that way. Uh, and the second one, the Prophet them is said to have said when he would break his fast, Oh Allah, I have fasted for you. Or I should say, Oh Allah, for you I have fasted. And upon your sustenance, I have broken my fast. For you, I have fasted, and upon your sustenance, I have broken my fast. This is one that's more, uh, maybe like, commonly, commonly known. And another variation of that, he starts with, Bismillahumma, in the name of Allah, O Allah, for you, I have fasted, and upon your sustenance, I break my fast. And عن عبد الله بن زبير رضي الله عنه ما قال أفطر رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم عند سعد بن معاذ فقال أفطر عندكم الصائمون وأكل طعامكم الأبرار وصلت عليكم الملائكة. This one's also included in our document for Ramadan. Uh, that Abdullah bin Zubair he said that the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم broke his fast in the company of سعد بن معاذ رضي الله عنه the great companion. And he said those who fasted have broken their fast. Um, with you and they have eaten and your food has been eaten by those who are righteous and uh, well really this is probably in the form of a dua so it's probably more like uh, may those who have fasted break their fast with you and may your food be eaten by those who are pious and uh, may the may the prayers of the angels be for you which I think is salat from al-mala'ika is al-istighfar may the angels ask mercy for you Thank you.
It's a nice comment. It, it, it confirms what I had said that this is in the form of it's Ikbarfi Maqam al Insha. So it means that it's a it's a uh, kind of like a factual statement that is meant by it, a dua. Meaning um, it doesn't so for example when we say Jazakullah khair, that literally means you were increased in good but what it actually what it actually means is may you be increased in good so sometimes the past tense or even the present tense is used for the dua which is actually a request it should be in the request like from a purely linguistic and actually that's not true from a purely but like you would understand it to be from a um in a request form but in this case uh, you can you use the past tense or the present tense in order to indicate that. Anyways, got off on Arabic language right now. No need for that. Alhamdulillah. So this is why it's in past tense, but the meaning of it is that it's it's an active dua. It's an active dua. Next section is on hibdul lisan, hibdul lisan, the guarding of one's tongue. And this is um, this is a very important topic. He says in the commentary, that this is a requirement at all times, but for the person who's fasting, it's an even higher requirement. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم قال من لم يدع قول الزور والعمل به فليس لله حاجة في أن يدع طعامه وشرابه. That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said, the one who does not leave false testimony and acting upon it, then Allah is not in need of them leaving their food and their drink. False testimony, like bearing witness in a way that's untrue. Bearing witness in a way that's untrue. So the person who does that, then Allah is not in need of them. You know, if they're not going to leave that form of bad speech, then Allah is not in need of them leaving their food and their drink. Why? And that's, it's, it's, it's kind of like uh, a specific statement by which we can deduce that which is more general. So specifically is being mentioned this false testimony, but as we'll see in other narrations as well, this is kind of a general concept that one who is not going to control their tongue from the things that they say, then Allah doesn't need them to stop, stop their food and their drink. This is not to say that if one makes a mistake while they're fasting, that they should stop fasting. Uh, it's, it's meant to encourage the person to be conscious over their speech. I believe we came across this one in the beginning, which is that the Messenger of Allah said that if a person wakes up in their fasting that day, then don't let them engage in any bad speech 
and don't let them engage, uh, behave in belligerent ways. And if someone curses them or someone tries to fight with them, then they should remind themselves, I'm fasting, I'm fasting, I'm fasting. So, um, and again, this is something they say to themselves, I'm fasting, I remind myself, I'm fasting, I'm fasting. I don't want to do things that would contradict that state that I'm in when I'm engaging in the fast. Um, and, and like I said, this is, I believe, a hadith that we came across earlier. And one of the things to remind ourselves about that is that the uh, hadith will oftentimes be narrated multiple times in different chapter headings as showing the various indications of the hadith. So in this case, we're talking about not protecting speech. So protecting speech is going to come up in this context. And the hadith comes up in that context. That maybe it's that a fasting person gets nothing from their fast except for hunger. And maybe it's that a person who stands in the night gets nothing from it except for fatigue. Except for fatigue. This is a famous hadith also uh, on the topic. So the point is the person can fast all day long and get nothing from it other than being hungry. Nothing from it in the hereafter, nothing from it from Allah. Someone can stay up all night and get nothing from it. So he says in the commentary, so he says, and this is a really important point, you know, I think that there are internal and there are external etiquettes and methods by which things are done. And uh, in order to have an integrated method of, of engaging with our faith, we have to think about these things from multiple sides. So in the comments, it says many people they fast from food and drink, but they don't protect themselves from engaging in things that are prohibited or speech that is prohibited. And so they have no reward. And they are similar to the ones who make a lot of standing in prayer in the night, but they do so out of showing off and out of trying to be known for that. And so they have no reward as well. And that's a general principle for showing off, for wanting to be seen, wanting to be recognized for something the, that can corrupt one's sincerity and be a means by which the reward for our actions is lost. The action must be done sincerely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah grant us tawfiq. Allah grant us tawfiq. A siwak, section on a siwak. A siwak is the particular type of toothbrush, uh, tooth stick, the stick that comes actually from the root of a tree. Um, there's some supplement that became popular. I forget what it's called right now, but it's from a root also somewhere in South America. You mix it with like milk or something. 
and you drink it, it tastes like you're drinking siwak. <laughs> I kind of liked it actually because I like the taste of the siwak. But um, the siwak is that toothbrush. And Aisha radiallahu anha, and in the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, called a siwak u mataharatun lil femi mardatun lil rabbi. Rabbi. Lil rabbi. Uh, this is the Prophet sallallahu as narrated from Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha said that the siwak again this if you've never done it it's it's a good thing to do um, and it's also those are good things to have around they say that the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when they would visit each other and they would receive one another as, as guests the least that they would do is they'd give each other a miswak or a siwak they just go they bring something as a gift, even if it's something really symbolic, but it's to say, I, I thought about you and I got you something, even if it's something really small. It doesn't have to be something, you know, over the top. So if you've never tried it, it's cool. And you take like a little piece of it off the stick, um, kind of like chew it off. And then and then the, the wood is left underneath and you leave like a little piece and then you can use it to clean your teeth. And then when it gets kind of like worn down, you just cut that off and then you bite off the next piece of the bark and continue. It's very, uh, you know, it's biodegradable. It's environmentally friendly. Uh, I suppose it's probably sustainable. You can use them for a while. Anyways, the Prophet said that the siwak is a purification for the mouth and a and is pleasing to the Lord. It's a purifier for the mouth and it's pleasing to the Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Amr ibn Rabi'ah radiallahu anhu qal ra'itu nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yastaku wa huwa sa'in ma la a'udu wa la uhsi. So it's narrated that the Prophet Amr ibn Rabi'ah said, I saw the Prophet use the siwak while he's fasting uh, an amount of times that I cannot even count. So the idea here is that um, that there's uh, that he used it even while he was fasting. And the reason why that's being said is because sometimes like little pieces might get stuck and you have to pull them out. But also it kind of like it's not really a juice to it, but kind of there is. It's not, it, it's, this is similar to um, sometimes people, you know, this is one of the things that people will do. They read a hadith and they make the wrong conclusion or they read a statement in the old books and they make a wrong conclusion that people used to eat gum when they were fasting. They ate gum, but that gum is not, you know, like uh, wintergreen or whatever these things are called. <laughs> uh, juicy fruit or something like that. It's not like the gum we used to eat when we were in elementary school and middle school and stuff. It was, it was like a chewy thing that has no flavor and it has no content. So the only thing that you're swallowing when you chew it in your mouth is your own saliva. Whereas if we put some actual like modern gum in our mouth, we're swallowing a lot more than just our own saliva. So siwak is kind of similar. Like there might be some extra salivating that occurs, but we're not really swallowing anything extra. Anyways, the point is that you can use it while you're fasting. Uh, he says in the commentary down here, that it is a recommended thing to use at all times. And even more recommended when one's mouth has changed. 
and when someone wakes up or when they are engaging in any act of worship such as making wudu or praying or reading Quran or teaching uh, and the, and he says, we already talked about this in the section on those things that are recommended for prayer. But I've put it here as well, because there's a difference of opinion on whether or not uh, one should do it after midday when they're fasting. And there is a difference of opinion on this. Scholars differ. Is the using of the siwak while someone is fasting, is that only up to midday or does it include after midday? And there's a difference of opinion. Uh, Tilawat al-Qur'an wal-karamu wal-karamu fi Ramadan. Reciting the Qur'an and being generous in the month of Ramadan. Reciting the Qur'an and being generous in the month of Ramadan. An Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhu ma qala kana nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ajwal al-nasi min khayr wa kana ajwadu ma yakunu fi Ramadan hina yanqahu Jibreel. فَإِذَا لَقِيَهُ جِبْرِيلَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ كَانَ أَجْوَدَ بِنْ خَيْرِ مِنَ الْرِيحِ الْمُرْسَلَى There's a lot of interesting beneficial points in this hadith. Um, so, it says the, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, was the most generous of people with good. It's a nice condition. He was generous with good. Some people are very generous with bad. <laughs> they, they give out bad everywhere <laughs> they have no <laughs> they have no stinginess with giving out bad for other people but some people he, he the messenger of Allah وسلم, was the most generous of people with good and the most generous time of the year for him was the time of Ramadan when he would be met by Jibreel السلام, and Jibreel would come to him every night in Ramadan until it was over and they would review the Quran with one another um, and when the when Jibreel would come to the Prophet وسلم, the Prophet was even more generous to the point that he was like a wind, like a generous breeze, which is such a beautiful expression. Um, so the... Um, this is a famous hadith, obviously, but I think one of the interesting things to note about the hadith is that the Prophet ﷺ would be even more generous when he meets Jibreel. When he meets Jibreel for the, for the review of the Qur'an. That's an interesting point to pay attention to. I mean, he's the most generous of people. He's even more generous in Ramadan. And even on top of that, the most generous time is when he's meeting with Sayyidina Jibreel ﷺ to review the Qur'an. Because there's there's an extra benefit in the company of Sayyidina Jibreel. There's an extra in the suhba of Sayyidina Jibreel salam, and in the uh, the review of the Holy Quran. Subhanallah. 
So, and, and of course, the Prophet Quran. his character was the Quran. And then, so when he's reviewing the Quran, it comes out even more until he's like a gentle breeze. And this time of the year, subhanAllah, for those in Southern California, this is the time of the year of the, where you can feel the gentle breeze. Think about this hadith. You know, you think about this hadith and think about it in the context of this time of year when you get to the, uh, when you have the days that are not too hot yet and the night is still cool. You get one of those days where it's like hot, but it breaks at some point. Towards the end of the day, it breaks and that little breeze comes. And it's like such a nice, kind breeze and gentle and beautiful. And also that's the same breeze that comes and spreads the, the seeds that are flowering on all the flowers and that are, that are blowing in the wind. All, all of that's coming from that wind. And the beautiful things that happen in the spring and in the summer, all of it's like a consequence of that wind. So kind of like go out in the time of day when you can feel that wind and think about the Prophet them reviewing the Quran with Sayyidina Jibreel and, and kind of make, make the experience holistic. I think sometimes it's important that we take these things that are very sometimes intellectual and when there's things that are tangible, that we do feel them, right? Like we make a physical bodily connection with that intellectual concept. So the Prophet ﷺ was like a light breeze, a gentle breeze. So let me feel what that breeze is like. And remember the Prophet ﷺ at that time and say, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad, as-salatu wassalamu alayka ya Sayyidi ya Rasulullah. When I, feel, when I feel that breeze. That way we can integrate our, ex our experience uh, of religion. So it doesn't become too dry. If it becomes too dry, it's just boring. It's no fun in that. An Zayd ibn Khalid and Juhani radiallahu anhu and the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam called Man fattara sa'iman kana lahu mithlu ajarihi ghayra annahu la yanqusu min ajri sa'imi shay'a This is also a famous hadith that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Whoever breaks the fast of a fasting person like provides them the food that they break their fast with then they have the like of the reward of the person who fasted and the reward of the faster is not diminished in any way. So they get the reward of the fast and they, um, the reward of the fasting person is not diminished in any way. And this is, you know, one of the great traditions of Ramadan is that people, this hadith, and, and this is really, this is what unifies Muslim civilizations and societies across cultural and geographic and language differences is what is taking the hadith of the Prophet and making that a cultural point. So what is the cultural point that comes out of this hadith is that people are always inviting other people in Ramadan. Why are you always having dinner parties in Ramadan? Everyone knows that like Ramadan, you're supposed to focus, you're supposed to worship. So why would you have the dinner party? You have the dinner party in Ramadan because you want to feed people who are fasting and get the reward of their fast. That becomes a cultural, a unified cultural issue across Muslim civilizations. And that's generally what we'll find is that the, the unifier of Muslims across civilizations 
is the sunnah of the Prophet That's where it is, is in taking a hadith of the Prophet and creating a culture around that. And create culture around the different hadith of the Prophet out of our love for him, out of our worship, out of our submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we create cultural practices that are recognizable for Muslims all around the world, even if they come from different languages and cultures. They'll understand. You invite people in Ramadan, they'll understand. The hadith is in the mind. It's in the consciousness because it's part of the lived practice of the people. It's extremely important. This is like, you know, why culture cannot be uh, underemphasized. That's the wrong statement. This is why culture cannot be overemphasized. That's the right way. This is why we have to talk about culture. <laughs> I can't figure out which way to say it right now. <laughs> this is why culture matters. Because when the culture uh, becomes, um, when the culture becomes um, part of, part of uh, it, it embodies the hadith, then when the culture embodies the hadith, uh, it, it, it brings it to life, brings it to life in the practice of the people. An Ummi Aymara Al Ansariya Radiallahu Anha on this companion, uh Aymara and the Ansari woman. And then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Sallam Dakhla Alaya Fakadamat Ilahi Ta'aman Fakala Kuli Fakalit inni Sa'ima. فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الصائمة تصلي عليه الملائكة إذا أكل عنده حتى يفرغ وربما قال حتى يشبع وفي رواية الصائم إذا أكل عنده المفاطير صلت عليه الملائكة It's an interesting narration. So he says the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم um, and this is also one of the reasons it's important to read the hadith. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that, uh, or it said that this woman, she was visited by the Prophet. Just interesting in and of itself. I wonder what the story behind that is. So says, Imara, Umm Imara, Umm Imara Al-Ansariya, Dakhla Alayha Al-Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet Sallallahu came to her. So she presented some, she put some food for him. So he told her, eat. She said, I'm fasting. The prophet told her the fasting person, when the non-fasting people are eating in front of them, as that is happening, the angels are praying for them until the, until the people who are eating finish their eating. Uh, okay. And another narration, the fasting person, if those who are not fasting eat amongst them, then the angels pray for them while that's happening. So why do I say this, this is one of the reasons why it's important to read the hadith? Is because what is the hadith commonly in our community, at least in my experience, what is the hadith that we always hear when it comes to this? Is that the fasting person, if they're invited to food, they should break their fast. And they can make it up later. At least for me, that's what I always heard. That's the hadith I always heard. Fasting person, food is presented to them. Not, of course, Ramadan. Everyday fast. Food is presented to them. They should break their fast. And they can make up their fast later on. Or they can not. On the difference of opinion. But that they should, you know, eat the food. 
But this hadith is giving you a different side of it. This hadith is giving you the side of it of they're being asked to eat or people are eating in front of them. And as long as the people are eating in front of them and they're fasting, the angels are praying for them. So this is a very relevant hadith, for example, for people who work in workplaces where everyone's eating or people who go to schools and everyone's eating around them and so on and so forth. I mean, you're on a college campus, you're on lunch break in high school, whatever it might be, and you're fasting and nobody else is fasting. And they're like, oh, sorry, we're going to eat in front of you. You're like, please go ahead and eat. In your mind, you don't have to necessarily tell them, but in your mind, you're like, go ahead and eat because while you guys are eating, the angels are praying for me. I'll take that. Like, that's, that's good. Angels are praying for you. That's a good thing. It's going to be answered. It's going to be accepted, right? So that's, so this is another angle on it. And again, you know, sometimes we, we don't read all of it. And then so we end up with a, a picture that is not whole. Um, yeah, that's sufficient. I need to say more than that. The standing in night, in the night of Ramadan, the night prayer in Ramadan, and it is called Tarawih, Tarawih. Tarawih is called Tarawih. Why? In this, in and of itself, the name of the prayer itself is a response to, um, to the idea that Tarawih can be the account. It's okay, you can do it, but I'm, it's not the point. The point is that the, the inherited practice of the Muslims from the time of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anh, all the way up to today has been to pray 20 rak'ah of tarawih. If you don't feel like praying the whole thing, if you don't have time, if you're tired, there's no shame in like, I'm not guilt tripping anyone. You wanna pray eight, pray eight, it's not the point. The point is that the established practice of the Muslims is that tarawih is 20. How do you know that from the name? <clears throat> Because tarawih is plural of tarwiha. Tarwiha. Tarwiha is the name of the break that is taken after four rakah. Okay? So you pray four, you take a break. This is called the tarwiha. You pray four, you take a break. It's called tarwiha. If you're only praying eight, you're done here after two breaks. So it's not called Salat al-Tarawih. It would be Salat al-Tarwihatayn. Tarwihatayn. It, it would be the prayer of two breaks rather than the prayer of many breaks. But when you, Tarawih has more than two, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, more than two breaks. So you pray four, you break. You pray another four, you break. Pray another four, you break. Pray another four, you break. Pray another four. You're taking five breaks. This is Tarawih. Uh, otherwise, it's only two breaks. Anyways, it's not an issue to. It's not an issue to like make a stink out of, but the point is that the the established practice is twenty, as far as I know, in um, in the four medhabs, or more, like um, in the in the, as I understand, in the Maliki school, there's a position that Tarawih is can be 36 rakah as well, not just 20, but 36. Uh, you know, and again, it's not, in the end, it's all extra prayer in the night. It's highly recommended, but it's all extra. 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us. On Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, and this is why also, like, we don't have to finish the entire, entirety of the Qur'an in Tarawih. Sometimes it's like, it makes it so hard because every night you're trying to finish a juz. So that 20 rakah becomes a really demanding 20 rakah. And I've been told in places like Turkey that they make the 20 rakah very fast. They're not trying to finish the whole Qur'an in Tarawih prayer. Even though obviously that's a good thing, probably some of the masajid do, but other masajid, they make their 20 very quick. And so you can finish the 20 and it's tolerable and it's you know something that the people can do. Um, and maybe if you have more energy or whatever, you go to other masajid. And this is why sometimes I think also we don't have to like um, do this holier than thou thing between the masajid. Like one of them will pray 20, they'll finish the entire Quran. Alhamdulillah, someone should do that. Another one will pray eight and they won't finish. Another one will pray 20 and they won't finish and so on. And especially in the summertime when the days are super long and you don't finish Tarawih. If you're, if you're doing half the Quran, when I was at ICY, we used to do it, just do half the Quran in Tarawih and we'd finish at midnight in this, or almost midnight. So like, it's very late, you know? Alhamdulillah, if someone wants to do it, we don't, we don't there's too much guilt tripping around worship in general. Like, worry about your own worship. Worry about your own relationship with Allah. Stop worrying about everyone else. And maybe it will be accepted. Instead of, like, imagine you spend, like, we were just looking at Imagine you spend the whole month fast, fasting and praying and everything else. And at the end of it, you're looking down on everyone else who, who, who prayed eight rakah. Like, oh, you only prayed eight rakah. You didn't finish the whole Quran. And you think you got any reward for all of the 20 rakah you prayed? They probably got more reward for the two rakah they prayed with actual sincerity than the 20 rakah you prayed you thought you were better than everyone else. You know, may Allah forgive us. This is a bad, it's not the correct approach. You know, the Prophet them did more worship. He did more study of the Quran. He was more generous. Not he did more worship and he did more study of the Quran and he was less generous and more judgmental and all these kind of things. No, how did that? It's not how the Prophet them was. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يرغب في قيام رمضان من غير أن يأمرهم فيه بعزيمة فيقول من قام رمضان إيمانا واحتساب غفر له ما تقدم من ذنبه فتوفي رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم والأمر على ذلك ثم كان الأمر على ذلك في خلافة أبي بكر والصدر من خلافة عمر this is the first narration, good narration. It says that the Prophet وسلم, would encourage people. See, look what he did. Look what he did. The Prophet وسلم, would encourage people to pray in the night in Ramadan without commanding them to do so in like a very strong way. He wouldn't really firmly tell them they have to do it. Okay. Uh, so he would say, he would say, whoever stands in Ramadan believing in Allah and hoping for reward they will be forgiven what came before from their sins. And the Prophet them passed away, and this was the situation. This is how things were. And then it was like that in the time of Sayyidina Abu Bakr an, as well. Um, and they, meaning that they would encourage people to pray, and people would pray on their own also. They would encourage people to pray, and people would pray on their own. This one would pray, this one would pray. They'd even come to the masjid. And this one would pray by himself, and this one would pray by himself, and that one would pray by himself. This is a lost... Sunnah, this is the last thing that we should do too as well. Inshallah, one day we can get a place back for the majlis. And this is something I would like for us to do. 
is on certain special nights or every so often we have like um like a gathering where no one's actually leading the salah no one's actually giving a lecture it's just you're coming we're all going to come and we're all going to worship individually maybe for like two hours just to encourage one another I'm not going to talk. We're not going to talk to each other. Maybe at the entryway, you can talk to each other, whatever, or the sitting area or whatever it might be. But when you go into the prayer area, we're just going to pray. We're going to make the We're going to read Quran. And everyone will do that individually and encourage one another just through the company of being in each other's company. And then we go home. It's a nice thing to do. So anyways, this they used to pray like this in Ramadan. One person would come, they pray. Another person would come, they would pray. And it stayed like that for the beginning of the time of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. This is an um, indication of what happened afterwards, which is going to come in another narration, which is that in the time of Umar, this is when Tarawih really started. Um, it, wasn't like a, a, it wasn't a communal practice behind one imam until the time of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, who he came to the masjid and he saw people praying in small groups and by themselves. And he said, why don't I just put them all behind one imam? And he established the imam who leads the tarawih prayer. And um, then, you know, everyone comes behind the imam for that. Uh, this is a long section. This is a long section. Uh... This is too long of a section. <laughs> I think maybe this is a good place to stop because we won't be able to finish it. Maybe we would be able to finish it in 15 minutes. بسم الله عن عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت خرج رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ليلة من جوف الليل فصلى في المسجد وصلى رجال بصلاته فأصبح الناس فتحدثوا فاجتمع أكثر منهم فصلوا معه فأصبح الناس فتحدثوا فكثر أهل المسجد من الليلة الثالثة فخرج رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فصلى فصلوا بصلاته فلما كانت الليلة الرابعة عجز المسجد عن أهله حتى خرج لصلاة الصبح فلما قضى الفجر أقبل على الناس فتشاهد ثم قال أما بعد فإنه لم يخفى علي مكانكم ولكني خشيت أن تفترض عليكم فتعجزوا عنها فتوفي رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم والأمر على ذلك Really beautiful hadith, actually, if you really contemplate it. Aisha radiallahu anha, she says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa came out one night in the middle of the night. And he began to pray. And some people prayed behind him. It's in Ramadan. Which tells you what, by the way? That the masjid was open, obviously. I mean, not necessarily that our masjid should be open. I mean, I know there's security issues, life is different, so on and so forth. But the Prophet came to the masjid in the middle of the night to pray and people were there and they prayed behind him. So people were there. They were just doing their worship, whatever. And uh, the, the Prophet ﷺ came to the masjid. He prayed. Some people prayed behind him. 
So when people woke up in the morning, they talked about it. So more people came the following night and he prayed and people prayed behind. Him. Then the next morning, they talked about it even more. So the people, so many people came to, to uh, so even more people came third night. Fourth night, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, so many people come anticipating that he's going to lead the night prayer and they can pray behind him. So many people come that the masjid can't hold them all. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam didn't come out until Fajr prayer. And when he finished the Fajr prayer, he turned around to the people and he told them, I was not unaware of you all being here. But I was afraid that this prayer would become obligatory upon you and then you would not be able to uphold it. So basically he's saying like, if he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, keeps doing something, that's an indication of its obligation. This is the Hanafi position, by the way. That's why they say that witr is wajib, it's an obligation. It's because the Prophet never left it. So they say, if he never left it, then that means you have to do it. So he says that, I was afraid that if I kept doing this, if I kept coming out and praying and coming out and praying and coming out and praying, then this would become an obligation upon you and not be able to uphold it. You wouldn't be able to fulfill it. It would be too hard for you. So I, so he didn't come out, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and the Prophet passed away, and that was the situation. That's how things were. Stayed like that until the time that the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, passed away. عن أبي ذر رضي الله عنه قال سمنا مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم رمضان فلم يقوم بنا شيئا من الشهر حتى بقي سبع فقام بنا حتى ذهب ثلث الليل فلما كانت السادسة لم يقوم بنا فلما كانت الخامسة قام بنا حتى ذهب الشطر الليل فقلت يا رسول الله لو, لو نفلتنا قيام هذه الليلة فقال إن الرجل إذا صلى مع الإمام حتى ينصرف حسب له قيام الليلة قال فلما كانت الرابعة لم يقم فلما كانت الثالثة جمع أهله ونساءه والناس فقام بنا حتى خشينا أن يفوتنا الفلاح قلت وما الفلاح قال السحور ثم لم يقم بنا بقية الشهر رواه أصحاب السنن This is also a very interesting narration um, um, so, what's going on here? We have to read the commentary in order to get a grip on it. The Prophet ﷺ, Abu Dhar says, we fasted with the Prophet ﷺ in Ramadan. And he didn't lead us in the night prayer in any of the month until there were seven days left. Seven nights left. Uh, for the last until the last days of the month were left. Okay. Uh, so the night of the 23rd. Night of the 23rd. Then he stood up and he prayed for a third of the night. Then it was the following night. He didn't lead the prayer. Then the following night came. He led the prayer for half of the night. So we said to him, Ya Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, like, it would be nice if you would finish the night. Like, let's pray the whole night. <laughs> look at look at the look at the difference in the situation, subhanAllah. Like usually we come to the Mashra, like the Imam in Tarawih, he took too long tonight. Too long. 
he needed to go faster. And because he's not going faster, I don't get to pray more. <laughs> I'm trying to figure the math out on that one. But anyways, that's, that's you know, so they said, Ya Rasulullah, if only you pray for us, though, like lead us in prayer for the whole night. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, if the man or if the person prays with the imam until the imam goes, then it's as if they prayed the entire night. And it's as if they prayed the entire night. Then it was the following night, the night of the 26th. He didn't leave. So he's going on the odd nights. See that? He didn't leave. Then when it was the next one, Mashallah, this little girl has a personality. She is not to be messed with. You can hear her. She's she's making her case. Uh, mashallah. <laughs> she does stuff sometimes. You're like, oh my God, Allah help us. Allah help us with this girl. She is fierce. Uh, she is definitely her mother's daughter. She is strong, mashallah. So she says, uh, he says about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, then this third, three nights left, the night of the 27th, he gathered his family and the women of his family and the people and he led all of them in prayer until we thought so much that we thought we would miss suhoor. They call it suhoor al-falah, the success, al-falah, the success. They refer to it as suhoor, suhoor is that. He said, he led us in so much that I thought we were going to miss suhoor. Then the rest of the month he didn't need, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Very interesting narration as well. An Abdurrahman ibn Abdin and Qadi, radiallahu anhu, qala, kharaj to ma'a Umar ibn Khattab, laylatan fi Ramadan ila masjid. Fa idan nasu awza'un mutafarriqun. You salli rajlu li nafsihi wa you salli rajlu fa you salli bi salatihi al rahadu. Fakala Umar, inni ara lo jama'a tu ha ulai ala qadi in wahidin la kana amthal. ثم عزم فجمعهم على أبي بن كعب ثم خرجت معه ليلة أخرى والناس يصلون بالصلاة قارئهم قال عمر نعم البدعة هذه والتي ينامون عنها أفضل من التي يقومون يريد آخر الليل وكان الناس يقومون أولهم so he says رضي الله تعالى this narration Abdurrahman ibn Abd and Qari says, I came to the masjid with Umar ibn Khattab one night in Ramadan. And the people were in different groups, one praying by himself, another praying with a small group behind him. So Umar said, I think it would be good if I put all of these people behind one imam. Then he decided that he was going to do that. So he made that imam, Sayyidina Ubay ibn Ka'ab. Sayyidina Ubay ibn Ka'ab. He says, then the, the narrator is saying, then I came out with... Sayyidina Umar on a different night and everyone was praying behind this one imam so Umar said Ni'man bid'atu hadi he said what a great innovation this was Ni'man bid'atu hadi so this was a good bid'at it's a good bid'at it's a good thing that I introduced he thought it, he felt happy about it radiallahu anhu and obviously the ummah accepted that and then he said and what they sleep through is better than what they stand through and what they sleep through is better than what they stand through, meaning the, um, the end of the night. And the people used to pray in the beginning of it. Uh, 
So what is it saying? It's saying that the later part of the night is actually better, but the practice is to do it in the beginning part of the night. Um, so this is now Adid Qiyam Ramadan, Adid Qiyam Ramadan, the number of rakahs uh, um, that one should pray in Ramadan. You're going to see the different narrations here. I'm not saying that someone, I wasn't saying before that you can't pray less than 20, just that the practice of the Muslims has fallen on 20. Um, <clears throat> and that's something to pay attention to when the practice like when the four madhabs actually agree on something that's something to pay attention to when the practice of the muslims over centuries is a particular way that's something to pay attention to it's not it's not generally something that just happens even if the uh, reasoning for it is not always expressly stated there's usually some reason for for things to occur in that way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the allow us to reach the month of Ramadan, give us the ability to fast in it, and give us the ability to pray in the night. And whatever we can do, whatever it may be, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us sincerity in it and humility in it. And may He accept from us whatever it is, and may He reward us from His infinite bounty, subhanahu. Uh, by his wisdom and by his mercy and by his generosity, not by what we put forth. Allahumma amin. Allah accept from us. Inshallah, we have one more session only before Ramadan begins uh, in this uh, subject, I believe. Yeah. I think the, after next week, we're in Ramadan, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we should be on Ramadan by next week, which means that my class will be different. Which I mentioned to you. Oh, I might have five of them. Uh, on the lives of Qurra, the reciters of the Quran. Any questions or comments or anything before we close? I, I would want to remind people that Sheikh Muslima is speaking at the Shura Council Banquet this weekend. Yes, good, good reminder. Uh, I don't know, I think it's, is it Saturday? Yeah, I think she, I think MSA West is this weekend too. I think she might be. I'm not sure about that. I'm, I'm too young for MSA. Uh, I mean, <laughs> You hear like the MSA auntie. All the wisdom <laughs> is stored with you. Uh, no. I think she I think it's this weekend too. I think she has a couple things this weekend. But Shuri Council is a big one in Dunai. She'll be speaking at Shuri Council this weekend. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. Idri sends his regards. We saw him a couple of days ago and we're Oh mashallah. Remembering you fondly. Send salams back. We miss him. Barakallahu fikum. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastawfiruka wa natubu ilayk. 
والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات تواصل بالحق وتواصل بالصبر Thank you everyone. Inshallah, we'll see you next time. Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum.